Our text for today comes from the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah, verses 1 through 10. And those are found on page 7 in your bulletin. The desert and the dry land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. They will burst into bloom and rejoice with joy and singing. They will receive the glory of Lebanon and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the Lord's glory, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and support the unsteady knees. Say to those who are panicking, be strong, do not fear. Here's your God coming with vengeance and with divine retribution. God will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be cleared. Then the lame will leap like the deer and the tongue of the speechless will sing. Waters will spring up in the desert and streams in the wilderness. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground fountains of water. The jackals habit a pasture. Grass will become reeds and rushes. A highway will be there. It will be called the holy way. The unclean won't travel on it, but it will be for those walking on that way. Even fools won't get lost on it. No lion will be there and no predator will go up up on it. None of these will be there. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The Lord's ransom one will return and enter Zion with singing, with everlasting joy upon their heads. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and groaning will flee away. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I really did not see what was, hap- what was coming. It was five years ago, and I was working what we would call, for those who are called, considered bivocational pastors, my tent-making job, which was working in communications at a large congregation in downtown Minneapolis. It's two days before Christmas. And I, like many others, are getting things ready for the holiday. The day before, I got an email from the church administrator wanting to meet with me. I was a bit suspicious about this. I'm always a little bit of a worrywart, so it may have not been a big thing to worry about. The next day, and I was actually working in the same place where my husband Daniel was. He was, in in effect, my supervisor. He comes in. You can tell he has a pained look on his face. He tells me that because of the annual stewardship campaign, which fell short that year, they decided to cut staff. And I was one of those two positions that they decided to cut. I went to the the meeting with the church administrator and the interim minister. They sat me down to explain that I would be laid off. I could just say that uh, that made Christmas rather difficult, especially Christmas Eve. I had to lead that worship that day here, and I can remember feeling hurt, feeling angry, and feeling scared. 
how in the world would I find a job, especially at this time of year? One of the things that have become very common these days in our society, especially in American culture, are services, special services during this time of year where people do not really feel, as the song goes, that it's the most wonderful time of the year. These services go by many names. Some of them are called Blue Christmas. Some of them are called Longest Night, kind of referring to the winter solstice. Whatever they are called, the services in some ways are countercultural to the prevailing culture. Because of course, the prevailing culture wants to say that you have to be happy. You go into a store and they are playing cheerful Christmas music. You go to holiday parties. You are busy shopping to buy gifts. The culture tells us to be happy even when we don't. Blue Christmas services reminds us that the world is not the manufactured and commercialized season that we are told that it is. Today's passage starts in a desert. We all know what a desert is, even if we haven't been to a desert. It is dry. It is normally considered barren. And it is hot. Now, these days, we don't think about it as much because, of course, we have air conditioning, we have cars, and all of this. But the desert is a place that is filled with danger. One of the most telling stories that you can hear are those stories you hear about immigrants as they are walking to come into America. And of course, there is a desert that basically hugs on both sides of the border. And there have been very sad stories of people who walk, get confused in the heat, and die because they are making a journey not with the proper clothing and with no water. Desert is a scary place. Now, there are times in our own lives when we may feel that we are living in a desert. We could be dealing with illness in our own, with ourselves or with our family. We could be dealing with the loss of a loved one. Or you could be doing, dealing with the loss of employment. This week, I was hearing in the news about truckers that worked for a company called Celadon. Celadon um, went bankrupt. And it was very much all of a sudden. The story was that the company had went bankrupt. And when I say it went bankrupt, it went bankrupt. It just basically everything stopped. Truckers were having to scramble to get their trucks to a fueling station to make sure that they could fuel the truck on the company credit card before those were shut off. We all worry and feel at times like we are in a desert. I sometimes also worry about our own congregation as we deal with an ever-shrinking budget and more and more bills. It's kind of a feeling of, of, of a sense of concern. But Isaiah 
decides to look at this desert and sees something different or sees the desert is changing. It is that the desert becomes a place where things will bloom. The writer here talks about water springing forth in the desert and that the blind will see and that the deaf will hear and buckling knees will be steadied and the weak hands held up. What you see here is an image of healing. What was once broken is now made whole. And in the middle of all of this, pa- uh, this passage, the writer tells us to not be afraid. Be strong and do not fear. That is a hard thing to do. It is hard to not be fearful when you lose your job two days before Christmas. We are all fearful at some point because, of course, we face the unknown. When Jesus was with his disciples and they were in a boat crossing the the Sea of Galilee, the winds were blowing and the waves grew and it was tossing the little boat, the disciples were scared out of their minds and they were amazed in some of the versions of the story that their rabbi Jesus was sound asleep. But Jesus gets up, calms the storm, and chastises the disciples by saying, where is your faith? It is hard to stop being afraid. It is hard to not fear in a world that is so scary. But yet, here it is. We are called not to fear and to see God working to put things right. This passage reminds us of the centrality of Advent. We live in what is an Advent world. It is a world where we are expecting, where we are waiting, and it is a a world where the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, makes sense, because we are waiting for someone to save us. We live in a world that tells us to be happy, but Advent tells us that the world is not perfect and that we are waiting. In fact, it is not just imperfect, it is infected with sin. It is a place where people lose jobs, mourn loss of loved ones, where people wonder where they are going to stay tonight or where their next meal is coming from. That is the world that we live in. It is not the most wonderful time of the year. By the way, you can tell I don't like that song. It is an Advent world. Anglican priest Trish Harrison Warren wrote recently in the New York Times about how she looked forward to Advent. She talks about it as a time of preparation. It is a time that we remember that Jesus comes in the form of Jesus into darkness. And as the opening text of the Gospel of John says, the darkness could not overcome it. As she writes, Advent is a time 
when we get to peer into the darkness and we are reminded why Christ came. She writes the following. To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world that is still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, and darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil of this world, but are also wielders of it, contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. Advent is, not, is a time when we realize that things are not right in the world. But even more so, it is a time when we realize that things are not right with us. This passage is not one that is necessarily a happily ever after kind of story. But it is a story that was written in the midst of chaos. This was written at a time when the people of Israel are returning from exile and returning to a world that is very different than the one that they left many decades before. The thing is, is that this symbol of hope tells us that even while things in the world may be dangerous, even may, when they may, evil may seem to be rampant in the world, God tells us that evil will not last, and it will never have the last word. The dissident and, very, and the first president of a free Czechoslovakia, Václav Havel, has said that hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it will turn out. Now, you have to realize Havel was speaking and lived for many years behind the Iron Curtain. He was a dissident in a culture where you could not really be a dissident, living a life where there was no freedom, especially no freedom of expression or freedom of speech. But he could never tell you when communism would end, but he believed that truth and justice would always win over the darkness. Our Advent theme is on the verge of a miracle. As Christians, we believe that our church, the church, will make a difference in the world. And it does not matter if, the, if our congregation is small. It does not matter if we have a small budget. We hope, we trust in God, that God can use us to be a people who will work with God and believe that there will be flowers blooming in the desert. Every Christmas season, one of the songs that you do hear in the, in the stores is a song entitled, This Christmas. This Christmas was written in part and sung by Donnie Hathaway, 
who was a well-known R&B star in the late 60s and 70s. It has become, I always joke, that it is basically the, the quintessential Christmas song for black people. And it does have a special significance in that it is one of the, the Christmas standards, one of the few that was written by an African American. Now, Donny Hathaway's life is poignant because in his very short life, he only lived to be 33. He struggled with clinical depression. And in fact, that is what caused him to take his own life in 1979. But a decade before, in 1970, he writes this song. And there is something interesting in those lyrics. Part of it goes that he says, and Christmas will be a very special Christmas this year. And that tells you something. It's interesting because what it's saying is that the past Christmases have not been so great. This Christmas will be a good Christmas. I have no idea why there may have not been bad, may not been not so good Christmases in Hathaway's life. It could be because of his depression. It could be also because of a lot of the racial um, upheaval that was taking place at that time in the late 1960s. But whatever that is, he believes that this Christmas will be different. He has hope that things will be better, that things won't always stay the same. This is the Advent hope that we have to believe in. We live in a world where there is pain, where there is sadness, and we cannot escape that. It is here. We must live through it. But we believe that no matter what life throws at us, no matter if there is not a happy ending, God will make life spring forth from death. God will heal the people, make deserts bloom, and light a candle against the darkness. This is hope. This is Advent. Thanks be to God. Amen.